This is Casual Babble. Ooh, all right. Well, hello, you beautiful individual. Welcome back to the show. My name is BC Babbles, and this is Casual Babble. Tonight in the studio, I'm joined by the great Jessica Lackley. Lackey. Lackey, sorry. But the extra, I was worried about pronouncing the A right, and I put an extra L in there. I'm not sure where that came from. But here we are. Here you are. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good to hear. It's Monday. Monday, 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 Monday. I don't know what kind of anticipations I subconsciously put onto a Monday, but I always seem to be left wanting something different. I totally get that. I have very few meetings on Mondays. So okay. The chances of my Monday going sideways are both higher because I have to self-manage my day, but lower because everyone else is still like warming up to their day. Sure. So I can get my stuff done in the mornings, which is nice. Now, is your day today? Now, go and dive in a little bit to this. So you are now, and I want to make sure I phrase this right because I don't want to be like, use a word that doesn't quite encomp- that doesn't leave out a level of the incomposition. Is incomposition a word? Maybe not. But I want to make sure I word it right. So would you, how would you word your, your current profession? I would say, um, kind of business counsel, business consultant or kind of career consultant. What would you call yourself? Yeah, I call myself a feminist strategy and operations consultant. Mm-hmm. And I kind of blend the consulting part of having strategic frameworks mm-hmm. and being able to tell and, and help process with people. But I'm also a trained life coach. Yes. Because no one can tell you how to run your business mm-hmm. besides you. Right. So, um, I love being able to help business people with big picture strategy, but mm-hmm. also day-to-day calendar management, task management, process management. The little things that really put it all into perspective. The little things that put it all into perspective. That is exactly right. You can, <laughs> you can have the big picture vision, but if you're not actively making strides every day, mm-hmm. um, that big picture just stays on the horizon. It really does. And, I, and what I was saying prior to us hopping on is that you have one of the most impressive resumes I think I've ever uh, looked up prior to a recording and I'm just like, holy crap, this woman has done a lot of stuff prior to now. You've overseen global operations and sales. You had all these really high level engaging positions. And so, and now you are working to help guide people through both the large scale vision of their work, but also making sure again, they handle those smaller level tasks that help keep things coordinated. So I would really love to know what inspired you to shift yourself or would you say, have you even really shifted from these larger frameworks that you usually, that you used to oversee to these kind of more intimate professional relations and, and building partnerships? Yeah. So the question is how long the story do you want? Do you want the long story? <laughs> do you want the short story? This is called casual babble. So I'll take the whole thing or director's cut, whichever one you want. Yeah. So I, to your point, I had a resume that was like catnip for corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, got my cons- feet wet in consulting at McKinsey and Company. I had an MBA from Harvard Business School, worked for um, a decade in Fortune 500 companies like Nike. Um, all the while I was making good money for me, but ultimately sacrificing my soul and my mm. body and my spirit and my voice and my mind at the altar of corporate profits. Yeah. And at some point, you know, a decade ago, I mm-hmm. said, I don't want to do this anymore because this is 
this is not good for me and not good for my life. The farther I started um, exercising my own voice, the less I wanted to work for big companies and big corporations because, again, they're designed to silence mm-hmm. those voices. Yeah. And at the same time, I had a decade, 15 years of really expansive corporate experience and business training and mm-hmm. life coaching training and productivity training and every bit of training. <laughs> and to keep all that behind, super behind paid, you know, it was $160,000 for an MBA program, mm-hmm. which I didn't really learn much other than like how to not black out while I was talking in front of 90 people. Mm. But how come that's behind the, you know, in the ivory tower, behind the walls of really expensive degrees. Why yeah. can't that be accessible to businesses who, especially small businesses mm-hmm. and solo solo businesses where people are just trying to build lives and build businesses that allow them for flexibility, allow mm-hmm. them for their, to experience their own lives. Mm-hmm. And why do we need to put that behind such a paywall? Yeah. And, and I, and I'm, I'm happy you mentioned that because I didn't want to assume if there was like an element you would say lacking or an unexplored element that you were hoping to see in your career that that helped in uh, inspire that shift for you. Um, now, talk a little bit about, and if you can, sometimes, you know, ND, NDAs, whatever happens, I've experienced those too. So I got to titter tat around some things too. But when you mention like the ways in which corporate kind of inhibits and gatekeeps even certain stratagems, ideologies, or practices that you say should be kind of more available to smaller businesses, people who do want to seek that balance of uh, productivity meets content and fulfillment. Yeah. I'll give you a perfect example. So at my first job I moved, or my, uh, I took a job when I moved to Charlotte. That was, I moved here for family to put roots down. I was living in Portland, Oregon. Loved, loved, loved Portland. But I was tired of being um, a coast, you know, whole coast away from my family because they're all over in the East Coast. Very fair. So I moved to Charlotte and I'm not a morning person. And so I would roll into my, I was senior director at a company. I would roll into my office at 830 to nine. People would like side eye me. Mm. They would like, they're like, why aren't you not here at eight? And I'm like, I didn't know we had a firm start time, but I was, the reason I was then coming in at eight or 839 is because I was working after everyone left at the end of the day Working for two to three hours, I would leave the office at seven. I would go work out, or sometimes I'd work out in the morning. I would leave at 7.30 or 8. I'd go home and fix dinner. Mm -hmm. And so I was putting in 10-hour days. I was working on the weekends. But because I didn't, like, show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, people gave me, like, the stink eye. So these are examples of of the way that we are conditioned out of our, in this case, biological or cyclist, you know, uh, oh, my God, the chronological um, cycles that we run in to fit some kind of corporate timeline. Yeah. Like, was it really important that I be in the office, in hard pants, mm-hmm. at 8 in the morning, especially if I'm going to work until 8 at night? I don't think so. And those are the those are the types of you know patterns that corporations drill into people because mm-hmm. they don't trust individuals to get their work done unless they're like, start time is at 8 mm-hmm. and you get a 30-minute lunch break. Mm. Yeah. Particularly senior level knowledge workers. Yeah. Especially if it's very quota driven as well. I know in, in, in my much smaller repertoire <laughs> of positions that I've held, but I've noticed that as well when, when working for the few corporate entities that I have, especially when it's quota driven, it's like, especially when it's like, I feel like it's impossible quota driven. 
Like no one has the mental or emotional bandwidth to call 80 people a day, especially if you're not just on the quick sales side. Well, I don't want to say quick sales side because sometimes sales is crazy. But um, recently I'll say I was working in post sales client retention. So it was very like literally try to call 40 people a day. And that's to me, it's like, who knows how many of these 40 people are going to have expansive uh, requests to meet. And each of those requests on just my end, before I delegate those requests to the specialists teams will take like 20, 30 minutes. It's just, it's a, it's a crazy amount of bandwidth that you think I possess that causes burnout. Yeah. And I felt like sometimes I wasn't very good at my job. I was, I could remember the details at my last job. I could remember the details of production plans and sales plans by model. Mm -hmm. I was working in an appliance company by model, by month, sometimes by brand. And I remember all those and I'm a senior director and no other senior director, something you couple like knew that level of detail. And yet I was always, I always felt like there was more to be done. There was more to do. There was more questions. And really what that signaled is, you know, and from a competence perspective, sounds egotistical, but like my brain holds a lot more than other people's (laughs) and I remember a lot more than other people. And so if I feel like there's no way I can do my job and I'm working 12 hour days on weekends with an incredibly high capacity for attention to detail and kind of forward momentum and horsepower, Mm -hmm. how the hell else is someone going to do that job? Yeah. So I got kind of tired of doing two people's jobs in, you know, the job of one. Yeah. And because of hiring freezes, we weren't allowed to add people. It was it was a it was a slog for years to add required headcount on our team, you know. And we're talking, you know. I remember there was one conversation where because processes weren't happening in a different department, we were spending tens of thousand dollars on additional yeah. additional cost. Which if they had just paid for a hundred thousand dollar employee, we would have mitigated, you know, five ten x that every year. Yeah. But you know because that hits a different line on them on the budget and. You know, headcounts tightly manage when you're in a, you know, tight inflationary environment. Mm-hmm. Like these are the types of things that I was like, this is crazy. We are cutting off our nose to spite our face. And those are the types of kind of corporate games I got tired of playing. Because, sure. Yeah. You know, there's no winning. Mm-hmm. And I got tired. I got tired of never winning. Yes. I wanted to win sometimes. Hey, who doesn't? And it's, to- I think, it's, and I think we need that reminder that the skills that we've worked to cultivate can provide us this level of satisfaction somewhere. Yeah. And if we're never giving, getting that, you know, first of all, I'm not sure. I don't know how you did not burn out so much. Because, again, you're, you, you were in those environments for a long time. And I applaud you for having the willpower and the capacity, as you said, to be in those kinds of environments for as long as you were. Um, I, would have said, I would have tapped out so quick. <laughs> it's not even funny. Oh, yeah. Well, I hit the wall. A number of times on occasion earlier in my career, I would mitigate the symptoms of burnout by drinking a lot mm. and eating a lot and not having any friends and not having any hobbies. Mm. And then later on my career, when I realized, okay, this is this is a choice I'm making, but I knew I was getting out. So, yeah. um, you know, the choice of I've started cultivating hobbies and aspects of my own life. I became a holistic nutritionist mm-hmm. when I was living in Portland to learn how to take care of my body. Mm-hmm. I became a life coach. Um, when I moved from Portland to Charlotte and I started crafting my next chapter, I got got married and, um, bought a house with my husband, 
because I started cultivating a life and as yeah. soon as I could read the light writing on the wall of, all right, a big project I was leading at, leading at work was over. I could see the writing. I'm like, okay, pandemic hit, pandemic impacts are going to hit. I'm without political protection. Mm-hmm. There's a really good chance I'm going to get fired. I, I put it in my notice. Oh, wow. Like I could see what I was, I could read the tea leaves. I could see what was coming. And I knew that I was, it was only going to get worse. And if I had any time in my life, it would have been right on the early side of the great resignation to say, I'm going to take a beat. And that's when I left. Mm-hmm. Now let's hop into the moment after that, where you've stepped out of that last ivory tower environment for the last time. What was your immediate emotional and or mental kind of shift? Was there an immediate shift for you? Like release or like, Oh my God, what did I just do? What was that moment like for you? Well, you know, the resume that we talked about does afford me a fair amount of leeway. And <laughs> in, just in case, just in case. Um, but it was, I remember I quit in March at the end of March and 2021. And then it was still, COVID was kind of still locked down at that point, but it was, I got to take my dog for walks. Mm-hmm. I got to sleep in. I ended up way too quickly taking on a like freelance consulting work because I've been cultivating my network and they're like, do you want a project? I'm like, sure. Mm-hmm. But the most important part right afterwards is I started like catching up with people and having calls and having conversations with business friends and new business friends and some business groups I was a part of because mm-hmm. I wanted to build my business. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I had a conversation with like other people than the 10 people I talked to while I was at work. Yeah. It was amazing. It was the, Ooh. it was, I got into different podcasts and different, um, different interests and read reading books. And I, but for the first time, like it took me six months to release from the adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And now it's hard for me to, I mean, I'm still work probably more than most entrepreneurs do. Not the ones that are working like 60 hour days and mm. in retail, I couldn't do it. But from a knowledge work perspective, I'm logged in a lot. Yeah. But I no longer feel that driving urgency mm-hmm. and like adrenaline rush that just powers me through the day. I get tired earlier. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this means my reg- nervous system is much more regulated than it was when I left. And would you say that's because your environment now it's cultivated by you at your pace. So there's not that urgency because you, you understand your environment more in depth where you, you know, the leanings you can provide yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not tethered to anyone else's expectations. Mm -hmm. And also I'm also giving much more of myself, which sounds crazy. Like how much, how could you give more? But the one is giving performative action, sitting in meetings, processing your email, kind of just going through the motions which takes a lot of effort, but mm-hmm. different kind of effort than having a one-on-one conversation with somebody else, being immersed in someone's business, which is what I do. That takes so much more energy than like passively sitting in meetings and like team chatting with your colleagues about like, oh my God, he was a doofus. <laughs> and you also mentioned, so you mentioned a couple of things where one, you said you kind of too quickly started taking on projects out of your last a full-time position, but then you mentioned it took a little while for you to kind of leave that previous adrenaline behind. Would you say that's the reason you feel like it was a little too soon? Well, I think, um, I was like, Oh my God, I'm not going to get consulting work. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make money. So I leapt at a, a project. Um, and then I kept hustling for two years to mm-hmm. build a business. And I'm like, man, I would have loved to take the, like actually taking the summer off. Because now I have clients where I don't want to take the summer off because I love my clients and mm-hmm. I don't want to step away from the business. But I'm like, I 
wish I'd taken a, it's like, I don't know what I would have done with the time. I know now what I would have done with mm-hmm. the time, but right then I was so worried that I wasn't going to get work that I just like leapt right into it. Yeah. Um, although the first project I got was like the best project ever because mm-hmm. it was provided me enough structure, um, where I worked a couple days a week for a couple hours at a time. Okay. But I still had time to take lots of walks mm. and lots of naps. And it was a pretty, you know, like it was gave me enough structure so that I didn't just like fall on the couch and binge all day. Yeah. Um, but it was sometimes I would have liked I would have liked to take much more time off. But yeah, you know, that'll come. And this reminds me of a moment of years back where I was in such a rut. Um, I'm not a great lecture student. And when you have a semester that's all lecture, you you like you and you're like me, and you get in a rut really fast. Um, but I found that what broke me out of it emotionally, at least, was deviating from the day to day schedule. Was is that something that you would say that you implemented into your your kind of day to day life? A break away from anything set. Uh, what am I trying to say? Like not metered, but an expected part one, part two, part three of your day? Yeah, I mean, I've always been somewhat kind of structured and regimented, but I think when I, and actually the COVID transition, like I was working from home before I quit and then I was working home for after I quit. But the big change was, you know, one of the big changes was I stopped working on Fridays. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't work on Fridays. And I could go out. I mean, the big big change was I would go outside for walks and listen with my dog and listen to podcasts and catch up with people. And I wasn't tethered to teams to say I'm online. Mm-hmm. Like that little green dot that like, oh, you have yeah. Microsoft Teams that says I'm productive, I'm yeah. working. You know, when I was there, I was there. And when I wasn't, I, w- I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I think being, you know, that's been the biggest, you know, not having to dress up, mm-hmm. getting to go outside in the middle of the day when I have time. Yeah. And then really being deliberate with my time and energy, especially on Mondays and Fridays where I arguably have less meetings because I have less energy. Mm-hmm. And I get to I get to manage that. Yeah, you know? like my husband, um, he runs the Triple C Run Club, organizes mm. that, and so you know he's there a little later on Thursdays, and I like to wait for him to get home, and so we go to bed a little later on Thursday nights, and on Fridays I don't wake up quite as early. Mm. It's so it's luxurious, and yeah. it doesn't mean I'm ever gonna not get my work done. And if I need to get something done on a Saturday or Sunday morning, I will. Yeah, but to have autonomy to some extent over my schedule, mm-hmm. knowing that like I am the chooser of what gets, what goes in there and yeah. I'm the architect of how I spend my time and I don't have to get on phone calls at 11 o'clock at night unless I want to. Yeah. That's a, it's an amazing amount of freedom mm. that comes with responsibility, but it's freedom because I'm a grown ass woman who can, can't manage my own calendar. Yeah. And let's be honest, but, and let's be honest, I mean, even though you've always been able to provide high, high level, excellent, effort and um, quality to the work you put out. Now that you have this bandwidth to make sure you're acquiring the physical, mental, emotional reprieve that you need, how much better or how much higher quality would you say that your output is now? Oh, it's all, it's so much higher quality. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I feel better doing it and I don't come at the end of the day being like, I feel I just got like pounded by a hammer. Right. Like it's when I have a long client, like the long day of client work, it's, I feel like I've just completed some exercise, but yeah. I don't feel that underlying resentfulness. Right. 
that was the tinge for the last like seven years. Yeah. Like in the midst of it, like a little, little grindy, but at the end of it, you're like, oh, I'm happy I did that. Right. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Now let's talk about when you started building up your book of business. So what was your, if you had one, your strategy when it came to deciding, okay, what should for, for Jessica, what is my ideal book of business size? How did you go about deciding, okay, how large should I let it get? Where do I cap it? How do I make sure that this is feasible within your bandwidth? Well, right now it's, um, it's only been a year and a half since I've started really building the business that I have. So right now we're at the book of business that is me. <laughs> um, and I've outsourced some of the, the major things. But for me, it's like both the truly amount of the hours I can work, but also the amount of mental load I can carry. Mm-hmm. Um, I've discovered that, you know, I love what I love to do and also what I think is needed in the marketplace yeah. is for consultants and advisors to not just tell, mm-hmm. but to be in the business yeah. with they're the entrepreneurs they work with. So, you know, how many businesses can I truly be in at least with enough mind share that, um, they feel like there's, you know, it's an equal exchange of value. Gotcha. Um, and I really want to care about the people, you know, it's not just, and I'm not doing it for scale sure. because this type of one-on-one work doesn't scale well, mm-hmm. but also it creates the deepest relationships that I have had. Yeah. In a really long time, the relationships that, you know, like I'm changing lives. Yeah. Not just with the work I'm doing with my clients one on one, but to everyone in their businesses, Mm -hmm. like I'm changing lives. And that's really something that's powerful. And so I probably take on more than I should. Okay. But um, at the end of the day, I'm like, am I serving my clients? Well, do I have the mental capacity to switch this to this many clients? And if I don't, I say no. Right. So that's how I'm. You know, and I also plan out my, I plan out my weeks and I'm like, do I have like time blocks that I can work on my clients for? And if I run out of time blocks, that's a sign that, um, in the, sometime in the next year, I'm going to be bringing on a team member, but I've been hustling for like a year and a half to build Mm -hmm. this for two years to build this business. So I'm like just holding right now, Yeah, which is a, it's almost foreign to be like, how am I just holding? I haven't been holding in, you know, a decade because I've been struggling to get out of pain mm-hmm. and then struggling to build a business that was sustainable. And now I'm here. I'm like, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> it's like really like a, I was having a conversation with a friend. I'm like, okay, like I'm just going to like chill. I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to chill. I mean, I'm going to do really quality work for my clients and I'm just going to chill like a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like those two concepts are alien to each other. A little bit. Yeah. Now when you started um, networking and inquiring your clients. Um, and let's say for someone who's looking to enter into a kind of consultation role themselves, when would you say, um, either pre or post agreement, is it best to start building certain boundaries with your clients so that there is an expectation system in place that no one crosses in regards to you getting your time, but them getting what they need. I think it's interesting, and I will give this may be a counterintuitive example, but I think I would give a different answer when you're early mm-hmm. in your business versus when you're starting to be more seasoned. Because if you put boundaries up, I think too early, like, no, they can't call me after this time, and I only do this. I think it limits the, 
like your ability to know what really your processes should be. Cause mm-hmm. if you're like, well, you can't talk to me after hours. And I, you know, like sometimes like don't answer phone calls on weekends and things like that. But I think it deprives you of the opportunity to see what really your clients need. Yeah. What's going to be the best way for them to work with you and what's going to be the best avenue. So I say, don't put up like super, super rigid boundaries too early because I think you're, you're then going to try to be like, okay, you operate in this way versus like, how does the client want to work? And I think it, diminishes like the ability to learn what um what's going to work for your clients yeah not, i mean not to an extent that's going to like drive you to the ground but be flexible yeah be flexible as you're building your book of business to say okay what do the clients really seem to want how can i price for that how can i put some boundaries and process process around that so i'm still giving them what they need but at a in a way that's more aligned for me mm-hmm. and then as you start to grow then you start to I would say put boundaries, but more design process and system that supports clients in the way they need to communicate and supports you in the way you need to be receiving that communication and providing it back. Gotcha. Now you mentioned earlier that Monday is your kind of low meeting day. Now is that by design or is that kind of happenstance? It's by design. For sure. Well, I, I, when I, you know, take on new clients, um, again, the question is for them, what day do you want to have our, we have a, with all my clients have a weekly one-on-one. Okay. And so I asked, what day do you want that weekly one-on-one? And most of them want it on Tuesday because they also want to have Monday as an meeting Monday. Okay. Yeah. And then for my group program that I run, it's on Thursdays. And so I think a lot of entrepreneurs need Monday to get settled and get organized and like work on, like knock out the big project for yeah. the week. And everyone wants to keep Fridays kind of clear. Mm-hmm. So my Tuesday is kind of a hot mess, mm-hmm. but then my Monday is is usually relatively clear. Gotcha. People need to rev back up after the weekend. You need to rev back up. Yeah. And I need to rev back up too. I I you know I do a lot of um, my creative work and my deep writing work sometimes on the weekends just because it's quieter. But still, Monday, you know, you got to recover from that social jet lag a mm-hmm. little bit, and that's why I don't like to have a whole lot of meetings on Monday mornings. I have money. I have meetings on some meetings on Monday afternoon. But sure. I need to ramp back up into my day. <laughs> and when you when it comes to trying to figure out, say how a way to address um, how much daily portion should I give to meeting time versus work time? How would you say you have um, approached that? Like balancing out how much time in uh, on a Tuesday should I allocate to being available for meetings for my clients based on how they've set those up versus um, the other side of your work? Well, yeah, for anyone, it really depends on do you have what I call a maker schedule or a manager schedule? Mm-hmm. A maker schedule is like a writer or a graphic designer who the work is in there is in the doing. Mm-hmm. And so how can you consolidate meetings as much as possible so that you have big chunks of time for um, making? And if you have a manager type schedule, maybe you're a coach or consultant who has a lot of variety. Maybe their work is, is straight up one-on-one mm-hmm. coaching and not really the hands-on work that I do after the call but it's, you know, 10 coaching clients every week, you might have like, you know, try to consolidate your meetings in like to a, a space of the day. Mm-hmm. Mine, I like to keep my mornings relatively empty because that's when I do, that's before I run out of energy. Yeah. I put my meetings in the middle of the day and then the end of the day is usually for admin or any by West Coast clients. Um, so, but it really kind of depends. But I really, before I take on a new client, I, you know, at this point I say, do I have enough space in my calendar mm-hmm. to absorb another weekly meeting during this time? And if it's going to 
go at a different time, I have, I would have to say no. Gotcha. Now you got, so then you got clients that expand the States. Yes. I technically have clients in Europe and in North America, both on the East coast and the West coast. Cause where I came from, we love an international boss. Um, so now did you start off with the open availability to take on national international clients or did you want to start more local when you began? I started with people I knew and because the most people the I actually started in consulting like a footwear and apparel consulting with mm-hmm. some colleagues back from my Nike days. Mm. And so my clients were, they, my team was West coast and some of their clients were Australia, which is super awesome from a time yeah. perspective. No, it's terrible. <laughs> But we had some clients that were, because they were West Coast, so we had a lot of at a lot of West Coast meetings. And then it just kind of evolved. I have some clients that were local. Uh, you know, I have a strong, couple strong networks in, in Charlotte that are filled with amazing women who have been amazing clients. Um, I've discovered none of my clients really want to have meetings early in the morning, mm-hmm. which kind of works for me. And then my um, clients from overseas, they like to meet late, like later in the their day. Yeah. Because um, that, that way they can... You know, I meet with some of them at like seven, eight o'clock their time, which yeah. is two o'clock my time, mm-hmm. it, which it just kind of worked. But that's why I never said no, because, you know, OK, well, if I need to take a meeting at six, I take a meeting because that's their three o'clock Pacific time. I take sure. a meeting at three o'clock at six o'clock and I don't have kids, so yeah. I'm allowed to to do that. Mm-hmm. And but it works for me and my family because my husband is usually finishing up work and going for a run then. So it's not like we'd be eating dinner then time, that time anyways. Yeah. So it works for our life. And yeah. so that's why I advocate not putting up too heavy boundaries too early because I think then it limits the clients you take and the interesting things you get to do. And then as you mature in your business, then you can decide to scope it in and say, okay, this is how I like to work. Cause I just don't think, you know, mm-hmm. you just don't know when you quit corporate, you're yeah. like kind of locked in this eight hour day. And it may, some people may find out that they love taking doing the work from like three to 8 PM. And I'm like, you go, you go, you. Yeah. That's amazing. So I'm real. I'm hearing what I'm hearing is that one of the kind of non obvious benefits to shifting from that corporate life to this entrepreneurial life. Um, and especially allowing yourself to understand your preferred pace and bandwidth is that your, your time frame expands, like your day to day time frame expands, but because again, you're at your pace, you're not necessarily depleted to where you can't do those outside of eight to five meetings or activities with your clients. Yeah. I think my entire relationship with my body and with my time and with my energy has shifted. I'm no longer resentful. For example, I have like a lot of energy on Sunday mornings Yeah, and I'm no longer resentful of having to do marketing on Sunday mornings. I'm, mm-hmm. I get up and I get to write mm-hmm. and I get maybe get to make videos and create content and I'm working, but it's on my projects at a time where it works for my energy and I'm not resentful. Yeah. So I'm in t- really in tune with when do I wake up? When do I like to go to bed? When do I like to work out? And I get to dictate most of that. How long, how many hours in a day can I work? Um, I've been tracking my time with a t- thing called toggle. Mm-hmm. And I'm also in the middle of getting like a twice a week allergy shot. Uh, okay. Uh, to, for, uh, the allergy immunotherapy. And so I have to take, you know, an hour and a half, two days a week to go get allergy shots. And last week I had zero day and I spoke. Oh, God. that's right. Yeah, super I'm cool. so upset that I missed that. I'm trying to get my bosses to let me come and, and do it because I miss it very dearly. So I'm so excited. I got, I missed out on your, on your speech. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have a, I have a doctor's appointment tomorrow that I don't know how long it's going to take. 
and I still I still clock in thirty hours of work. Yeah, of kind of one quote billable hours, including my own admin, and I love it because I work when I work a solid time, but it's at my energy and my pace, and I get to have amazing conversations with amazing human beings about honestly amazing mm-hmm. things. I get to read a lot more, and I'm just so much more in tune with what the signals that my body is telling me. Yeah, than I was able ever able to do when I was in corporate. And and I'm what really what I really love about hearing this is that. Because I've met other people who run their own businesses and who just who, at least from my perspective, because I'm still very much working for other people, I'm still very much in that nine to five mindset. And to me, they're just like, you guys never stop working. How are you still working at nine o'clock at night? You just and you just got to Atlanta. You're in a conference meeting. How do you mentally and emotionally do that? But now it's like, okay, well, there. If in the similar case as you, if you're running your own business and you've allowed that. Um, understanding to occur firstly with you and your body, your, your, your mind and your emotions, but also you've allowed that time frame that we're so kind of programmed into to kind of release, then that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially with women, you know, people, a lot of entrepreneurs don't plan if they can get, if they can do it, don't plan meetings during, um, the period of month with their, the new moon or the period of month that they bleed because they're energetically not feeling their best then. Um, so again, entrepreneurship allows for lots of flexibility, but it's flexibility that comes with structure because mm-hmm. if you don't know what you're doing, like yeah. I maintain a task list that is, you know, every input I've captured is on my task list. I know what needs to get done. It's internalized in my body. I have rigid processes for reviewing that thing on the regular. So because I am incredibly controlled with knowing exactly what needs to get done, I am much more flexible on the when and the how. Mm-hmm. Because, and so I think that's the, that you can't be, too many entrepreneurs I know spend a lot of time squirreling on the, like they feel at their time. Yeah. And so they're squirreling on the time, or the, they're kind of just busy because they haven't really given a lot of attention to what could I do upstream to make this task easier? Mm-hmm. How can I delegate this to make this task easier? Where can I trade time or money for time to make this easier. Um, but that's what's required. If you want to have flexibility on the time, Yeah, you need to have pretty rigid processes for how you're going to spend that time with potency. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you just get overworked and overwhelmed and fall behind. Nice. Love that. And it's, and, and if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but really what you're saying is, you know what the hell you're doing. So you get to relax. Yes. Yep. Very simple. Um, now we have to def- obviously talk about Jessica Lackey Consulting. Now, tell us what. So we've spoken about how you are a career strategist, uh, strategy counsel, a consultant. So when it comes to someone who's looking to hop on with an individual such as yourself, would you say there needs to be kind of a level of? Let me rephrase. What should they come to you with? Yeah. So I work with. In my group programs, I work with, I would, I, I talk about my businesses as if they're um, trees. So we okay. have seeds and sprouts that okay. are beginning their entrepreneurial journeys, regardless of time, because mm-hmm. um, time is a construct um, mm-hmm. that individuals put on us to make us feel bad about how mm. far we are along the journey. <laughs> but we have smaller individuals who are still planting seeds and determining what business they want to be. And then they have 
what I call my strengthened and, and scale uh, businesses that are stronger that need either more scaffolding or some more support okay. as they grow. So for my smaller businesses, what they really need is an idea and a willingness to talk to everyone they know and be massively imperfect as they take action towards figuring mm-hmm. out what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know my packaging. I didn't know my pricing. I didn't know my messaging. Preach. I was just committed to, and I would not try something once and be like, oh, it didn't work. I was like committed yeah. to every month doing some kind of visibility moment to sending out a newsletter every week. Now that doesn't work for everybody, mm-hmm. but I was committed to taking on some, what um, one of my clients and I called clinical trials and taking them for a month or yeah. taking them for a year um, just as I start to build results. So what you, what they need when they're, when they're kind of smaller businesses is a willingness to be massively uncomfortable and, you know, have, you know, be willing to take action on a consistent basis. Yeah. Um, be willing to put it out there because entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart. It's not. If you can't get on board with 50% of your job in marketing and sales, this is not for you. Mm -mm. But for my, my small, my stronger businesses or you know, not stronger is a relative term, but my more established business the question I want them to come with is, are they willing to decide what enoughness is for them and then also to decide what they want to keep and mm-hmm. what they want to delegate in their business, knowing that there's a trade-off there with scale? Yeah. Um, and hitting seven figures isn't for everybody because to hit seven figures, unless you've got some kind of like massively scaled group program yeah. or you're doing super high ticket consulting work. You can't do all the delivery yourself. Yeah. But that's okay. Mm -hmm. Not everybody does want to build a business that they don't get to run and operate. Yeah. Like it's different for a product based business. Like you, the goal, you don't, it's not you who's delivering the service and you manufacture it and you want it to grow. But if you're a copywriter, if you're a digital marketing agency, for you to be a million dollar agency, you need to hire teams and creative directors and you no longer be you know, you're no longer the marketing strategist. Yeah. You're the CEO of a marketing agency. Yeah. Those are two very, very different jobs. Yeah. So I want people that come work with that come work with me to decide how big they want to get and also where they are willing to kind of take the hands off the wheel a little yeah. bit because they will continue to be the bottleneck. So where do you need to bring on some contractors? Where do you need to outsource? And also I think we have to decide where do they want to level up the systems because mm-hmm. you can gut it out to half a million dollars Yeah, to grow beyond that requires much more systems and process. And again, if they don't love systems and process, that's okay. But we have to decide what's the level um, of, of structure that we need to add in their business. Mm-hmm. The more, you know, it's not, we don't want to be rigid and, and keep people from, from expressing who they are, but there is a, enough predictability and routine for both, um, your team and your customers yeah. and your community that people need to expect. And if you're like, well, I want to do it differently every time because I'm a, that's a, that's a choice, but it's a choice that does come with limitations for scale. Sure. Yeah. Now when it comes to working with someone, a business owner who for the sake of seeing the growth that they want to see, they do have to take their hands off that wheel. Um, what's the most common fear that they iterate to you about why they want to keep their hands on as much as possible. Well, part of it, I think there's two. There's the societal conditioning that if you're not always hands on keyboard, that you're not valuable. Mm-hmm. Hence corporate America, right? Yeah. Like 
you know, if you weren't in meetings every day and if you had time, if you had white space to think and white space to dream and to make connections and for manifestations to happen, that meant you weren't doing the work Mm -hmm. and therefore you are not valuable. Mm. That's what we were taught. Like if you're not like doing work eight hours a day or more, you're not valuable. So the first one is getting uncomfortable with the strategic space that comes when you're no longer the only one doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part is um, how do you teach your genius to somebody else? Yeah. And that's the part where having to document the systems and not even just documenting the systems, but documenting the thinking and documenting the watchouts and like how do you codify all this um, experience that you bring mm-hmm. and the grief of letting go of that, like, well, if I'm not doing this, how am I valuable? Mm. And if I'm not doing this, am I in my genius? Mm. And so how do we start to detangle the results you get from the cl- for your clients from yeah. you doing the real work? And that's where the emotional part of not just consulting, I, anyone can help you write an SOP and anyone can help you write a process document. Sure. But how do you sit with someone as they are trusting their baby with somebody else and then redefining their own identity and mm-hmm. what they do on a day-to-day basis when they're no longer doing the work? Yeah. And that means they're doing the scary things, which mm-hmm. is usually brand vision, strategy, marketing, and sales. Because unless you're a sales coach, you probably don't enjoy doing that. But sure. So it's like, how do you transition away and also redefine your value and your day-to-day identity as not doing the work? Yeah. Now, aside from working with people at the top, which I would assume is kind of typically your your area, um, working with the business owner. You've come from the world where you see it not work for people down the line, yeah. where you've seen being people when you people are just a number, how that creates schisms and it causes a lack in um, uh, mental, physical balances and all these other important elements to one's life. How do you go about as someone, one of your clients' businesses is growing to where they are bringing in and developing teams under them? How do you make sure that they don't, by accident or by design even, implement those same kinds of environments? I think it's it's about being really transparent with expectations, being really, really clear with context, and being clear with deliverables. Mm-hmm. I think the challenge that many entrepreneurs make, not my clients because we um, actually none of them do this, but is to not assign something and then be disappointed when it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And what we have to remember is that if you're assigning something that you used to do, you have to explain it. You have to give a lot of the context. You have to give lots of lead time. Mm-hmm. The worst thing that I can, that I see is in the, in the industry is people giving a task to someone who was not trained for it and giving it with zero context and mm-hmm. expect like, hey, do this thing. And they're like, I don't know what to do. Like, yeah. I don't know how to do this. And then they're asking for it on a short turnaround and they don't make time for that person. And so it's my job to help make sure we slow down and say, okay, for every one of these tasks, do they know how to do it? Do they know what templates to use? Have they watched you do it before? Have they seen even like your computer gestures mm-hmm. as you do it? Because you've got 15 years, you know, 20 years of training to do this and this is a new task for them. Yeah. So how can we make sure we're paying very equitably mm-hmm. that we are being transparent Yes. and also not like treating others like we would want to be treated or not treating those like we want to be treated, treating others as if, as they should be treated, giving them lots of lead time. But also if they're not meeting the standards, first ask the question of like, did I explain this well enough? And then ask the question of, did they understand it? Mm -hmm. 
and then we start managing for, for, for performance. But yeah. I think that's the, that's the hard part is, yeah. um, that means you as an entrepreneur, you mm-hmm. have to slow down, you yeah. slow way down mm. and it's going to be beneficial in the long run, but how do we get there? Yeah. And how do you make sure you get the patience for that too? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and now, so when it comes to building the teams then, and you have someone, a client who use, who's going to be the one delegating the different tasks to their teams, um, do you either, well, okay, roll back. Do they ever ask you to be involved in that building team process? That way, you know, even if they happen to miss it, okay, the person we have here can do these things. So if they're delegated this kind of task, they should be good. And just kind of creating those kind of fail safes or kind of safeguards. A little bit. Yeah. So, you know, how, like there's sometimes where the entrepreneur doesn't have time to make the video, nor is it in their zone of genius. That's my job. Okay. So I actually create like training videos and SOPs for my Mm. clients and ask and delegate those. Um, I'm working in hand with a lot of executive assistants to, help implement the structures that maybe are missing from the business. Okay. But the business owner doesn't, you know, the entrepreneur, I'm like, you don't need to tell me how you want to run your, you know, accounting processes. That's my job to know how accounting processes are supposed to be run. Yeah. Tell you how I think they should be run, get your sign off, and then work with your team member to implement. Perfect. That's not a, that's not a, you know, they're not, they're not getting, that's not the value add that they bring necessarily mm-hmm. is like dictating how operations and, financial tasks should be mm-hmm. managed. That's probably not their zone of genius unless they're running in the operations mm-hmm. or accounting firm. Let me take things out. Let me take the burden from most all like most, most business owners are just carrying the burden to their whole team. And my whole job is how can I help share the burden? Because we're so conditioned that we have to do everything by ourselves. We have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. How can we share the load and operate as a collective instead of, thinking that we have to do it all ourselves. Gotcha. Now, before someone's able to hop on with you as either even a quarterly or a long-time client, do you offer any kind of uh, programs that will kind of test their ability to shift their their habits and their priorities uh, to where they know that at the end of it, they're, they know whether or not they're ready to start committing to this kind of venture? Probably should, but um, I have a <laughs> I have a str- I have a, str- a strategy intensive called the Rooted Business. Okay, intensive. Talk about it. Um, it is a one month process where yes. we do um, a series of assessments, a series of journaling assignments. We have a three month or three hour uh, strategy deep dive where I use the Huga space and we, if it's in person or virtual online, yeah. if it's and we outline the strategic pillars. Um, you get a lot, and then there's a one hour integration call within a month. You get a lot of when you call something a rooted business immersion, yeah. you start asking about the villains that they are facing with their clients and the mm. injustices they face in the world. You know, you get a lot of people who that's not their language. Yeah. And you get a lot of people who are like, that is exactly what I need. And almost every person who says, yes, I'm doing this not for the money. I'm doing this not for the the flexibility and the the Lambos and the the lifestyle perks, but I'm doing this because I want to make a difference and I feel like I have something to add in this world. Every single one of those clients is willing to change yeah. how they, 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 they not just are willing to pay their teams equitably. They are overly concerned with making sure they retain really great talent and mm-hmm. really great pay and almost to the detriment of their own salaries. So when you, when you use language like 
are you honoring your capacity? Are you um, facing injustice in the world? Yeah. The people that that align with that language are my people. Awesome. Before we hop off, are, is there what is your best way or what's your preferred way for anyone who's interested in working with you as a client to see how their habits can shift, how they can reorient their goals and their their hobbies to elevate their careers? What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? The best way is to subscribe to my Radical Strategy Sunday newsletters. It's um, They can subscribe at my website, jessicalackey.com. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time mm-hmm. is a missive on how we can do business differently for more radical and rooted businesses, along with a collection of curated community articles, resources, and events. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on a Monday. Uh, your insight, I need more of. So you got to come back at some point where we can get it lined up. Uh, thank you again for coming in. Uh, I hope you have a really smooth ride home tonight. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you.